Hey, it's a good question. Thanks so much for coming. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. This is a show where we get to talk with you about the spiritual side of life, the Swedenborgian side of life, although it's really, you know, goes much, much beyond that, in my humble opinion. And we just spent... I, I'll tell you a story about why I'm excited to, to be doing this in a second. It's just rude for me to not have already introduced. This is Chris Dunn. He's going to be chatting with us. He's our community manager here at, at Off the Left Eye. You've probably interacted with him. I mean, he is spearheading this system that we get a, a lot of comments, and we want to make sure we talk to every single one of those. So there's a whole team of people that are doing that, led by Chris. Chris is often in there. So you probably already know him. Chris, thanks for coming. Happy to be here. And that's not all. There's a bonus, which just happens to be another person that if you ever had a really good interaction in a comment, it might have been Karin. It probably was Karin. Karin uh, is a writer for Swedenborg and Life as well as part of the community team. Hey, Karin, how are you? Hi, everybody. Doing great. Happy Swedenborg Monday. Is today Swedenborg Monday? Yeah, I forgot. Right. That's why we're doing this show. Okay, so the the story that I was saying, and this just makes it seem like my life is rather one-dimensional. I don't care what anyone thinks about my life. I was reading Swedenborg stuff this morning, and it was just some journal of spiritual experiences stuff, and I just was getting a sense of the world, that it, the, the explanation of the world we're in. And I just felt like this is such awesome stuff, and it's so potent. And then I remembered, oh, tonight I get to come and talk about it with all of you. And it gave me great joy, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. So to prove it, uh, let's take some of your questions. Remember, anybody who's watching right now, enter your questions in the chat. We pull them live right out of there. We haven't seen these before, as you'll easily be able to tell by our answers. Okay, how many? has it been two minutes and we haven't gotten to a question yet? People have clicked away already. Let's get to one. What's the first question that we have for us? Adriana Perillo, you have mentioned how heaven speaks through us in ways other than words. So would you say that when we are given these wonderful intuitive thoughts, they are being translated by a higher source? We introduce this, if we're talking about the Swedenborgian view of reality, that you can have communication with heaven, that you're actually getting input inside your thoughts and feelings from heaven. But yeah, what's that like? Do they speak English there? I mean, how does that work? Are there steps in between? Great question. Let's see what we can, what we can do to dig into it. So what do you think? Hmm. Well, I think that the answer is, I mean, in my understanding, absolutely yes. Um, intuitive thoughts that are from a, you know, that are having a source that is loving and and wise and helping us become better people or just see a better vision of this life that we can kind of work into. Uh, that that comes from the source, and everything comes if it's loving has its source in the Lord that flows through the angels through spirits and then directly into us. So if we're having wonderful intuitive thoughts, uh, then we can kind of rejoice knowing that we're actually part of a bigger network, uh, a really good network of people and spirits that are sharing in that. I love the idea if you're having a good, loving thought, it's it's from the source of, of good and loving thoughts. And you could say that we come in here and add a bunch of complexity to life. That you think it's just, okay, I can think and feel things, but then you're adding in all these angels and spirits and all these levels. But it, in a certain way, it does simplify it, that God is goodness. You know, the divine is goodness and love. So if you're feeling an instance of goodness and love, that if it's genuine and if it has a good aim, that can't you can't have an alternate source for that. That is like a little piece of God coming out of you. What do you think, Karin? Yeah, I totally agree. I think when those in intuitive thoughts that have something to do with uh, just a positive, loving feeling or compassion towards someone, or just this uh, a higher in an insight that brings more clarity, it's absolutely coming from higher place. I sometimes really even have the sensation of a thought dropping in, you know, like it just drops in there. I'm uh, just currently working hard to try to work out some. Swedenborg and Life scripts for some future shows uh, later in the year. And I can get to a point where I'm just really kind of stuck. And how do I organize all this information? And and I'm amazed that just as, as I go through my day, there are just little ways that a little insight will drop in that, oh, like gets me uh, some clarity to, to find a next step in the writing or a realization, you know, and just comes or else something will it can sometimes happen through a coincidence, like I happen to be reading this and, oh, there's a thought that just helped me get a next step in the, in the script writing or was watching this and something occurred to me. 
And I still feel like that's God speaking to me. So all these different ways, I feel like it's so wonderful if we can realize that we're working in partnership all the time with God. If our, if our goals are to try to be useful in some way to, to others, um, we're constantly working in partnership and God will, will drop these little insights into us as we go along, you know, and I think the, the partnership part is it doesn't come all at once because we have to kind of get to a place to be ready to receive each piece of it. And, um, but I think it's, it's wonderful. And of course it also involves <clears throat> a network of angels and good spirits that are part of the team and, it's a very cool thing. So answer is yes, in my opinion. <laughs> so the creative, if you're ever in a creative endeavor, you're, you're trying to write songs, this is a great point that it seems much more plausible that yes, we are accepting some kind of input. I know um, Nikola Tesla said, and I'll butcher it, but there's some external source of everything that's that's inspiring and, and, and right or something like that. And I don't know what it is, but it's out mm -hmm. there. And when you're, when, when you're doing when you're trying to make art, often things will just show up. Again, I'll, I'll butcher another quote, but this was, um, you know, this, this song, In My Life by the Beatles? Yeah. In my life. So a lot of people think that's that's maybe their most nostalgic, you know, heart mm. string tuggy, maybe one of their best songs, dare I say. I don't want to start a fight. But I was reading an interview with John Lennon where who, who wrote that song, and he was saying, he said, I was you know trying and trying to think of clever words for that song and trying and trying, and then the whole thing just showed up. You know, and I think that that's a pretty common experience. I know J.K. Rowling said that one day the character of Harry Potter just walked pretty much fully formed into my head, is how she described it. So there's definitely something about stuff plopping in. But look, at, let's look at this uh, translation that's in the last line of that question. These wonderful intuitive thoughts, they are being translated by a higher source. Because if we get a thought that is breaking us out of some cycle or, or is somehow positive and connecting, you know, what's the system that went uh, in between the essence of God and us? Like, how does that step down, you know? Uh, I know Swedenborg talks a lot about having conversations with angels and then trying to go back and relay that in, in his languages that he spoke, mm. and they're really not always being analogs for that sort of stuff. So what... How do we go? Yeah, what what does that supply chain look like? Yeah, I mean, just quite literally. I mean, when I read Swedenborg, it's almost always that the the Lord, being divine love and wisdom, flows through the highest angels into angels of a middle heaven and down to a lower heaven into spirits and then into us. And just that, I mean, looking at Swedenborg for from like a new person's perspective to know that that flow. Every time you have a thought that pops yeah. in your head, there is this kind of orchestra of entities that share in that thought with you. Um, one takeaway I received when I first read that was yeah. that quite literally, you are never alone. Yeah. You, there is no way that you can possibly exist in isolation. Yet everything you have is uh, part of this like collective mind working towards your welfare yeah at least on the heaven side right and that's it's a reality that is more and more becoming literally true in the physical world if you think mm -hmm. about that all these objects that are around us this microphone how many people collaborated to make this thing who designed it who manufactured it how, who shipped it who hooked it up there's so many people in this thing and then a lot of the thoughts that that we're getting if we're, we're scouring the internet and there's such a confluence of all these different people based on research of people who have come prior to them. So it's, it's actually, this is the way the world is becoming more and more. It's sort of matching the, the mm. spiritual side that Swedenborg totally. describes. And the, like the translation as well, I, I know Swedenborg talked about the way that dreams can happen at times and that there'd be angels talking about their spiritual things and that that can show up in your dreams, but in context and with people and objects and things that you have associations with that stuff that all this, this sort of mundane physical things that we learn uh, basically are tools by which spiritual concepts which we couldn't see directly if you didn't have them for those physical things as reference can tell us a story it's mm -hmm. kind of like uh, that, that book animal farm where it's like okay i'm going to tell you something about human government but i'm going to do it through farm animals mm -hmm. and how they how they move um karen do you have any final thoughts on this one yeah, just adding the, the thought that um, 
God is always wanting to find the ways to adapt those divine messages of love and wisdom that are too high for us to comprehend down to a language that we can understand and that would be meaningful to us wherever we are at in, in our life or our development or whatever. And so uh, I'm remembering when I was going through grief after my daughter died that um, the little signs of comfort or messages of comfort would come through sometimes um, through a coincidence that was meaningful. It might, might not mean anything to somebody else, but that was a language that I could understand that whatever that little sign or coincidence was. So I think it's very adapted to where each of us are. Well, thank you. And thanks very much for the question. I think let's, we have time for one more. <laughs> so no, we have a lot. Let, let's do the next question. Thanks, Adriana. Bobo Uzala says, we know the left eye corresponds with the intellect. What about the right eye? Because isn't this channel called off the left eye? And sometimes I give an explanation of that to say that the left eye corresponds to intellectual things. So what's the other one? Uh, what, what, what would we pair with you know, the, the wisdom side of life? Well, I mean, if you look at the kind of like two sections of what Swedenborg describes in us, it's, it's uh, love and wisdom or truth and understanding or intellect and will. So I would imagine, I mean, I haven't really studied the right eye terribly much yeah. in isolation, but uh, in that kind of kind of pair, uh, the will being the kind of what drives your affections and what your, what your heart's kind of pulling you towards, um, that's my uh, hypothesis. But yeah. what, what do you think? I mean, you... I, from what I know, he explains it a couple of relatively complex ways in, in a few different areas. I always say, when people say what it, what is the the right eye, I always say, look, we're we're off the left eye because we are trying to give information. We can't make anybody feel anything or make anybody choose anything. And the motivation and the the intent, the intent behind what we're doing, that's the will side that you're talking about. So, but I do know that you have to have often the right concepts lined up to get the will to be able to lock it and do something. So to me, it's like the left eye. That's that's how we see what's true, and the right eye is you see, you see understand what needs to be done, you know, based on that stuff. What do you what do you think, Karin? Well, I'm totally cheating because I have in front of me a quote about that because I saw the question a little earlier and I was able to look it up on newchristianbiblestudy.com or .org, and uh, Swedenborg is saying so. The eyesight in general is about understanding and faith. Um, seeing, how do you see life? How do you understand life? And the right eye is the affection you have that will drive how you understand things. In a recent show, we were talking about how what you care about affects what you see, right? Or how you see things. So the right eye would be about like, what do you care about that is affecting your understanding of life or your, your faith? And then the left eye is the intellectual side, the, the actual ideas. Um, so the right eye seems to have to do with um, what you care about affecting your view of a life or your faith. That that is totally cheating. What you just did and it makes us look like fools. No, actually, that <laughs> I really like that because you see in there the mutual interdependence that one is nothing without the other. In and that's always what Swedenborg is stressing that you have this grand duality, love and wisdom, and and one is nothing without the other, and mm -hmm. that that is actually the core of love is that really like what that is is to to realize we're only something together and there if you have how you understand life versus your motivation for understanding life or you can't if you if you have no motivation it doesn't matter what how you understand things because you, you you wouldn't be able to do anything or gravitate towards any single concepts and if you l had a certain agenda but no frame of reference to to work it on you couldn't go anywhere as well so you have to have both of those things. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Man. Yeah. You, ha you have any other f final closing nah, rebuttals? Nah, man. I, I think that uh, that pretty much sums it up. So that's what the right eye is. And uh, I guess someday we got to go start that channel or else oh, someone's going to snap it up. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Bobo. Our next one is from Janie Roberts. If the afterlife is so much like life here, why is there no stress there? Okay. So we do, you do get this report of from Swedenborg who's saying 
which at his time I think was relatively rare. Now we have a lot of near-death experiences and things that seem to report a life that that has a lot in common that we almost take for granted with the experience that we have here. People are there and they are seeing and hearing and and feeling. There's still sensory input and that they interact with other sometimes they call them beings, sometimes they call them people. There's other entities, right? Mm. So just like there is here. And Swedenborg goes farther to say, look, there's a lot of this stuff that we have here is there. You know, there's there's vocation, there are communities, there is day and night, everything has a difference. Well, then that necessarily leads you to say, well, I don't want to go there because mm. that's just like here and I don't like here. <laughs> so what's going on with that? Why? Why? And Karin, I'll, I'll send this one to you first. Why is life better in in these... How can you get stress-free zones in the afterlife when there's all the same stuff that's here? Because um, in earthly life, we're in we're on the level of the right in between heaven and hell. So we're getting influence from heaven and bombarded by hell all mixed together. It's all mixed together. Also, when we're in this earthly plane, we have inherited all these um, ego tendencies that make us vulnerable to the evil, even if we're trying to be good too. So we we um, experience stress in that in that clash, and as we have to kind of sort through that, and when we get to the afterlife, that is is not the way of things anymore. Um, the the similarity. Actually, we're going to have a show coming up. I think it's the third in our new series about what's the same and what's different about uh, this life and the afterlife. And the same are things like you get to have activities uh, that you enjoy doing. You get to um, have a body and you get to experience beautiful surroundings and you get to have relationships. That kind of thing is the same, but you will not have the same kind of clashes within yourself, the struggles back and forth and, oh, I'm in a better state now. I'm going to, because when you get to the afterlife, that gets sorted out in the world of spirits. And you are you whatever your main thrust is will win out and you get to have the the other go away. So if you are want you wanting to follow a heaven bound life, you want to prioritize loving God and the neighbor on earth, you're still going to get bombarded with all sorts of negativity. And this as you're struggling to keep that uh, North Star. But when you get to the afterlife. Um, you get to have that all sorted out and you don't have all those bombardments that keep hitting you to, tr- uh, to try to take that down. You, you get to, you get the relief of following what your, your deepest heart wants and letting that struggle between your ego and, <laughs> and your higher self, um, fall away. So you get to become a more united self, uh, not a, a self that is struggling between higher higher wishes and lower ego wishes. Yeah, so clarity. Clarity increases peace. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so much of the vision of of heaven that Swedenborg portrays, I mean, yes, it's a direct, it has kind of like a, you know, we can see resemblances here on earth, but imagine doing the things that you've done on earth without the constant uh, kind of like pull of, hell on those things. So imagine having relationships that are like completely centered on the other, like taking joy in like helping others or being in a, like a, like the love of your life being in a a marriage with them without struggling with say lust or any of these like hellish things that constantly bite at you or being in a, in a, in a job that brings you true joy without having the kind of things nagging at you like, uh, like, oh, I'm too concerned about my reputation or like getting these things just right because, you know, it, it, it'll affect how the people look at me. Or, yeah. It's just those elements that we have in this life take away the nagging stuff that makes them less joyful and introduce pure uh, connection with, with heaven. That is, that is the vision. That's why there's less stress there. Yeah. Um, to me, it's... It's pretty remarkable. The yeah, n- not everywhere in the afterlife is stress free. Mm-hmm. There's a world of spirits, everything hellish. There's there's stress there, 
there's nowhere you can go that that place will take stress away from you. Heaven is a state of mind. And it's a state of mind that the world, our whole experience, this stressful experience in the world is essentially, as long as we're not directly fighting it and jump, diving into devoting our lives to what's harmful, the the whole point, the whole progression of life, we're going through the regenerative process. Mm. So all this stuff, every annoying thing that we go through is in some way chipping away at the things in our personality that block us from you know, the kind of life that you were just describing, all of the ego-based uh, love of self, love of the world, things that create stress. And you, it's not that much of a stretch to see that you were just describing what, what stresses you out at work. Well, one part of it is that you want to be better than everybody else on, on whatever level. And But all, all the concepts that create that peace in heaven, it's not that because you're in a certain space, it's because what heaven is, is trusting in the divine for everything. I'd say Swedenborg was in a heaven state, and he was going through all kinds of stuff. Mm. When, at least not not early on, when when he was having his spiritual awakenings. Initially, there's a very intense, difficult period. He journals about it in his journal of dreams, and in his early journal of spiritual experiences. It was it was just like confronted with all this stuff. It was really bad. But he got to a point after he'd been through all that when, you know, you can read his journal. He's going going through all this. I mean, his diary of spiritual experiences, all these evil spirits are trying to mess with him. This stuff goes on in his life. When he's writing the, the books that we're now reading, he, they get put on trial because they're heretical and uh, all these people don't want to buy him. But he's happy. And, he's, he's because, and the reason is because he's got these principles forged into him. Mm. The, the trust in the Lord, the service for other people. Mm. I don't know how much he was still struggling day to day, but... But some of his reports, it seems to say, there was progress in that direction, and only in that direction do we get peace. So why is there no stress there? You know, just imagine if you were here in this life, and you completely trusted that everything that was happening, and this is great to say as a concept, but it's very, very hard to actually pull off. Mm -hmm. Everything that's happening is actually, this is divine providence working towards the best ending, and I'm going to leave that up to that. You have no concern at all for your reputation or your standing in the human race because you know that the greatest joy in life doesn't come from that, right? That you, you totally love the people around you. You're in the present moment. It's not, not that hard to imagine. A, even a perfect life in these surroundings, let alone one where, yes, we are freed of... We can never quite rise up to that because you are, gotta, you got to eat and you got to work to you know, sustain yourself and there are some difficult things and you're struggling with heaven and hell, you all were. But if we realize it's, a, it's the state of mind... You can you could almost have heaven here if you had those principles really working for you. So, a couple of thoughts on that. Thanks yeah. so much for the question, yeah. Jenny. Let's look at the next one. I just like mispronouncing everyone's name. <laughs> James. I know this one is James. It's James. James Trail. Revelation twenty one eight speaks of unbelievers being cast in the lake of fire. That's kind of harsh. Mm. Swedenborg literature in our life after death says otherwise. Is Revelation twenty one eight a misinterpretation? Or a different meaning. So how are you how are you going to have Swedenborg continuing the Christian tradition? He's very much sure he says some out there stuff, but he just keeps the Bible around. He keeps around all this Christian stuff, and a lot of people have this issue with Christianity because it's very harsh and very seems like it's violent and revenge filled. That God is gonna you did something bad. I'm gonna take you and throw throw you into a lake of fire. Like a regular lake is bad enough to get thrown yeah. into. <laughs> So what's, what, what is that, and how is that in a book that's supposed to be all about divine love and wisdom? How is that coming from God that's about divine love and wisdom? So what do we do when we hear stuff like that in the Bible? Well, I, I, man, so I grew up uh, not reading Swedenborg. Yeah. I grew up in a Methodist and then a Catholic background. Um, and, you know, these visions of hell that you read about in Revelation in particular are remarkably scary. Yeah. Um, you, and I, I, you think about, okay, you, 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 we're learning about God, and God is supposed to be this, this being that a lot of people claim is love, but yeah. you get visions like this. And This is so great, by the way, because you, <laughs> you, you can speak to this from experience, so I'm, mm. I'm at edge of my seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so how do, you, how do you square away this divine identity that is supposed to be loving you and supporting you and championing your, your, you know, your best version of yourself with this reality where in the bible you read about just 
cast in the lake of fire. And a lot yeah. of this stuff is like forever. <laughs> like, how does that even, how does that even work? That's, That's crazy. Well, you th- so think about the people that we look to and admire morally. Today is Martin Luther King Day in the United States, yeah. which a lot of people look to him and say, what a great moral leader. I'm thinking of um, Mahatma Gandhi, a lot of people. If you found out that, that one of those people took their enemies and threw them in a lake of fire, you would initially, it would immediately be like, okay, well, they're not that great. You, you know, so why is God going to do something that seems so reflexive and mm. and just eye for an eye kind of stuff that, that I thought we were getting past. So were you yeah. done or did I cut you off there? Well, so the, I mean, what I'd progress towards is one of the first things that really helped me kind of change the way I engaged with a statement like that. And that's that God, first of all, God is unceasingly working towards our eternal welfare and he doesn't cast anyone into hell. I mean, that statement alone is enough to give me tremendous pause. The next sequence in that is that uh, through the quality of our heart and the decisions we make over a lifetime, we make the sole decision as to where we end up in the afterlife. Um, It's not that we we try really hard, but God's like, "Ah, you didn't quite meet it. I'm throwing you into this lake of fire. It's rather that if you have good intentions, he's going to get you there. And if you rebuke goodness if you just can't stand to be around that kind of environment where people are doing good things and and selfless in some capacity then you're in a sense compatible with the environment that hell offers so i i'll let you guys take it to the next level but but that dynamic as someone new newer to swedenborg was remarkably revolutionary and helping me see that god actually is on my side and he's not like just throwing punches constantly trying to get me down the wrong path yeah. by punishing yeah, yeah yeah that's awesome cool current yeah so do we we go a little deeper for us so what what's this lake of fire all about the book of revelation is written in it's it's total symbolic language and so it is not supposed to be taken literally um it's it's the language of symbolism and the lake of fire is a symbol of the passions of hatred and lust and greed and all these passions that just well up in the human heart that are so destructive. And that's, that's the lake of fire. It's not a place. It's not a place that God made. It's a result of when humanity started to engage in self-centeredness and wanting to dominate and wanting to hurt other people and wanting to take from other people and revenge. And, you know, this is, you know, you burn with hatred. This is really what this is, um, the lake of fire. And so that scene in Revelation is about when um, the, the harmful passions in people's hearts, and this was taking that is describing um, events that took place in the spiritual world during the last judgment that Swedenborg witnessed in the spiritual world, took place in the spiritual world. And he saw that um, people's true selves were coming out. And when someone's true self, they had been maybe hiding it under a facade of um, goodness or politeness, but it came out um, that they really wanted to dominate people, to control people, to hurt people. Um, that is a burning passion, which is the lake of fire. And that, um, as soon as it rises, because in the afterlife, um, what you really want to do comes out, um, that causes them to act out against others. And immediately the, um, what you might call the, it, it's called the law of retaliation, or the, there's this spiritual law. Uh, in that takes place in the spiritual realm that what you put out to others happens to you it bounces back on you and so this cast into hell um i i realized at one point when you know because sometimes uh swedenborg even uses that term cast they were cast into hell and i'm thinking why does he keep saying that when he also says that it's people's own passions of hatred that drag them into hell and i realized from reading a couple things that you know, once someone acts out with hatred and revenge and cruelty, um, other demons, you know, like other evil people 
pounce on them and drag them can actually <laughs> cast them into hell. So it like, uh, think of the movie ghost when that, the, the bad guy, um, he died and these scary <laughs> beings came and dragged him down to hell. It is their own evil that gets them in touch with other, um, demons and they all just drag down into this, um, this, uh, you know, state of, of hatred that is always burning to hurt each other and things like that. So it has nothing to do with, um, God. <laughs> it is all about, uh, the, you know, the, the passions of hatred and revenge and cruelty. Um, that's what the lake of fire is. And that's, uh, what drags people down into a hellish state of mind. Oh yeah, that's great. And I have so a couple of closing thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, we have to deal with the Book of Revelation issue in the first place, mm-hmm. but then we want to look at symbolism and, and the way that that actually shows up in our language. So the Book Book of Revelation issue is: you could be watching this show and saying, "Well, this clearly says, you know, that God cast these unbelievers into this lake of fire, and that's what it means." And you guys are just twisting. You can't do that with the Book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, just to name a few, there's a tree that's on either side of a river. There is There are creatures with a bunch of eyes in them. There's, a, there's all kinds of things that we don't know what to do with. Mm. But some of these points that we think are descriptions of how God treats people, the thing has to be taken through some kind of lens or else. And do this to the entire Bible. There's just basic, basic issues with, it'll say in one verse, they were ready to cross the river, then they cross it. And then they're back on the other side of the river, and then they're halfway through, and then they're back. Like it doesn't even add up in that way. So we, there's got to be something deeper in there. And the only thing that, to me, makes the text suddenly cohesive and suddenly divine, because so many people in the world are just tossing the Bible out. They just say, "Look, this thing is obviously outdated. It's mm-hmm. obviously riddled with errors, and it's just been used as a as a tool to get get people to do what you want to do only through the internal sense that I see Swedenborg describing." It, does it become something that that I would have in my life, you know, in that same way? So that's one. But then, the symbolism. Everybody can get it when you say, "Yeah, you burn with hatred." Or think about, he was consumed by this anger. Mm-hmm. You just really that that as a as a literary or poetic device. But you just get it that you can have people that are so buying into their paranoia or rage that it just destroys the rest of their life. That that is, what what better representation of something like that, that than fire? And it's interesting, the complexity with which Swedenborg describes all these different modes of, of movement. Because, Karin, you're absolutely right that he talks about, you know, evil attracts other people who are in the same sort of evil and that they can pull you in. And, and at other places he says that, people who absolutely love evil dive toward hell, and if they really love it, it looks like they're being thrown head first, that there's an appearance of how we're watching it, because if we're watching from a good, like a pro-human life standpoint, you them being overrun by their own emotions, negative emotions to go do that, is a destruction of what's living about them. To, to, to people who are engaged in that, mm-hmm. it feels like, I'm going, I'm going for it, this is awesome, I feel mm-hmm. alive. But when you really see what it is from the angelic perspective, you see this is just like you're just jumping into a fire. Why would you ever do that? And to the rest of us who get impacted when somebody chooses that, and all kinds of things. I was thinking about these, these mass shootings that you have when somebody just gets consumed by something. It's just, I'm going to go with whatever's pushing me to do this, and just the total carnage hmm. that that leaves for everybody else. They're jumping into that that lake. Or, or you could say the evil in them is throwing them into that lake. Hmm. So, man, that's a heavy place to to leave that one, but let's do it. I mean, we, we there, there's many more things to talk about. Thanks, James. Let's Let's take a little break. Let ourselves recenter. In the meantime, if you want to know how you can help a conversation as wide-ranging and and hopefully touching on things that, even though they sound strange, are really important, if you want to help facilitate this kind of programming existing, here's how you can do it. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high-quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. 
This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins. And we really couldn't do what we're about to do next without you because we have to have another question or else it's just going to be a long 30 minutes. So let's take a look. <laughs> the next one is Mike S. How much of the ego do we take with us into the afterlife? I mean, the ego is so great. We love it when it's, things are going well. But when they're not and when you can start to tell that the ego and, and the way we use that term now is making life a lot worse. It's making me very touch, like um, vulnerable to some, oh, this person's insulted me. I didn't get the praise I wanted. Why aren't I greater? It just becomes, you, you start to see it as a real liability. Mm-hmm. And is that going to be, but but you don't, do you want to throw it all away? I mean, the, the sort of sense of self and the sense of accomplishment, you know, what what uh, is is the long-term forecast for the story of, of us with our ego. You want to kick that off? Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, it depends on how much work we've put into our spiritual growth or just like confronting those things and trying to grow um, with higher principles guiding us. But Swedenborg does describe that there, you know, there's a very well laid out process that just about most people, if you're not going straight to heaven, if you haven't like really done that process fully on earth of kind of like, confronting the well actually i'll frame it like this yeah most people in the afterlife they will come in with whatever ego or self selfishness they had in the, on earth and there's a process laid out by the lord that uh, allows them to slowly interact with that ego and yeah, come to right. terms with it um you know in the first stage you can still kind of like uh, think one thing and do a different thing um, but as you progress in the world of spirits right after death, um, you have to make your peace with who you are in like the vision you have of yourself versus the part of you that's completely ego driven. You have to make a decision yeah. and there's processes that are super well laid out to help you get to where you want to go. And so, although you might carry your ego in the afterlife, uh, the Lord and tons of angels are going to work with you to help uh, kind of bring out that better version of yourself. Great. Yeah, and it would be nice. The processes around that here are so vague. I don't know if I'm making any progress. But there, yeah, it sounds like you can take the master course Mm -hmm. in it. Karin, what do you think? uh, How much of the ego do we take with us into the afterlife? I'm going to continue off of Chris saying a better version of yourself because we are, like, God gives us a, a selfhood, which is another way you can think of the ego. And it's, it's uh, a good and important gift. And the only problem is we, we get now hered- uh, born with a hereditary tendency to have that ego, the, our lower self want to be in charge and call the shots. And our lower self ego um, feels a separateness from everybody else, really wants to be on top, really wants to be first, all these things, wants to do it myself and doesn't want to listen. And so it's uh, just like a an unruly child or a <laughs> untrained pet or something. Um, when it is in charge, when it is in charge, there's trouble because um, there is not the connection with that higher potential in ourselves to be aligned with God's purposes. But if it gets, um, you know, in the process of regeneration, we're getting uh, things put back into their proper alignment. So once the higher self becomes in charge, um, then uh, the ego can transform into something that is, that is good, which is a subservient ability to, as an individual, um, act to do things you know, can take the, take the cues and the instructions from the higher self, which wants to care about other people and serve God. And then the, um, the ego now reformed, (laughs) um, is the part of us, the lower part of us, the part that feels a selfhood able to put that into action. 
And so, like Chris was saying, that it, um, in this life and continuing in the afterlife, we're in a process of getting that in better alignment. And we can get started on it here and we can continue that process in the afterlife, but it's just a gradual reordering to get it so that the lower self is not in charge and then it's what we call the negative ego and it's messing everything up. But if it can become um, a force to serve higher purposes, uh, then it turns into something good. Yeah, the, the cool thing for the ego is that the the divine plan is to to keep it on board it's not to exterminate it you know whereas if the ego had its way it would exterminate all the good parts of us and our ability to open mm -hmm. up those higher things I mean, if i wanted to be really legalistic about it you take all of it and it never goes away even even angels when you get to that point where you're in this fully love driven state of life when when your priorities are exactly stacked the way they should be and you're hooked up we talked earlier about these good thoughts and feelings coming in from god you're hooked up you know really high end thoughts and feelings from the divine it's all it's there it's just dormant and that actually even then it can be serving this sort of use like karen was talking about in, in a couple of ways i want to talk about the the uh, you know use of it for continuing perfection but then also the the heavenly ego which we more describe so first the use that is continuing perfection every once in a while for angels for people who are way farther down the path the the proprium or the ego the love of selfhood gets kicked up a bit and that is what allow and they get into a, a more negative state and that's what allows them to emerge better on the other side because this fascinating improbable thing that swedenborg asserts that that you can keep getting better and therefore happier forever forever how do you and you can't do that without being led into these states where you have to work just like if you were going to say i'm going to keep getting stronger forever we've got to feel the burn to, to get there but then the the heavenly selfhood which is like what, what Karen was talking about, that there is never going to be a time when you don't feel like yourself, when you don't feel this. If we think about the good side of the ego as the thing that differentiates me from you, the, the goal is not that I'm up here and I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm Chris or me or that mug. What am I? Because I love it all. You can love it all, but I know that I'm me. And that Swedenborg makes this paradoxical claim that the more and more you get into heaven, and the more and more you become an angel and live from love and know that God is the source of everything and that everybody's your you know, spiritual family, the more you feel like an, a separate individual. Mm. The more you feel like a separate individual. And that that's the key to joy, because if I was here and I loved everyone, but I knew that, that nobody had any self, how would I do anything nice for anyone? Mm. Like if I'm, if I'm going to, not that, not that, we ever would do anything nice for each other, Chris. We have a long-standing feud. But if I was, I would have to think like, what's what do, kind of stuff does Chris like? And what right now I know he's like been working and he's a little bit tired and he likes coffee. Do you like coffee? Yeah. And so look, I'm going to make him coffee. You have to have people have to have some kind of selfhood to exercise love and charity and all that kind of stuff. So. Wow. How much of the ego do we take? Some? I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you want to eat Car Carna Chris, either you want to say anything else about that? No. Nah. No, I, we have a show. Am I on? You're on. <laughs> we do have a show called The Infinite in You that I think is pretty much on this topic of the ne negative and positive aspects of having an, a selfhood. <laughs> That's right. Go watch that. Oh. Yes, that's right. You get this. That's the one I think where you climb up the ladder and then the second flew. You'll know what I'm talking about when you watch it. <laughs> okay, let's take the next question. Thanks very much, Mike. This next one is Jay Ma. Why some human spirits can and will communicate with living loved ones and some are not? They see living people's sorrow and pain, but usually they don't respond and show themselves. So the question is basically why, if you're going to say you have to let die people. Mm. That there's like, like consciousness survives death, right? And the people that you know and you knew and loved are still there. They're out there somewhere. And they are actually more functional than, than we are here. Why aren't they saying something? The funny thing is a lot of people are wondering the same thing, Jay, because our most viewed video of all time is entitled, Why Don't Our Loved Ones Who Have 
died communicate with us more, I think. And that's, this is the same question. That was all born out of this, yeah, why, that's not fair. We all want to talk to people that we love who are gone. Does some people love us more, love us less? What, what's the answer? So you can watch that video, but, but why, why would you when we're going to answer it really well here? So, um, Karin, you want to uh, take this one first? What, what do you think? Why, why is there such a dis- irregularity in the amount of contact people get if there really is a subjective reality of life after death and, and love is still driving those people that, that we love. Why, why aren't we hearing from them? Yeah, well, that show, uh, Why Don't Our, Those Who've Died Communicate With Us More, was emphasizing that it's not for lack of desire to be in communication at all. And a recent news from heaven, I forget the, it was about how spirits talk, I think, um, was pointing out that these levels in the spiritual realm, and there are many levels, there, there's the lowest level of the uh, world of spirits that's very close to us, and then there's these levels of heaven, and um, language can't come down in the same way from higher places to lower places, usually, unless there's some <laughs> uh, mechanism in, in place of a chain of, of uh medium spirits or something. Um, So the thing is that one has to be willing to um, pay attention and notice much more subtle ways of communication. I mean, I've been through intense grief myself. I know how much you just crave that obvious uh, message, that obvious vision, that obvious dream, that obvious um, voice or something um, in communication. But I believe that the reality is um, it most of the time can't can't happen that way because them communicating with you from heaven or, um, you know, higher realms in the spiritual world, it's going to come in more like um, feelings, um, imagery, uh, a memory that comes to you. I remember um, after my daughter died, sometimes noticing um, you know, I was, uh, just with the family and felt just this like moment of, Oh, this is so sweet. All being together. And I realized, wait, I got to notice that's, that's her. Like I'm feeling her love for this moment. Um, those kinds of things, um, the communication is going to come in ways that we might not recognize. So you have to think how, how do people on that, um, on that level, communicate with us on this level. Think feelings, think thoughts that pop into your mind, think coincidences that are meaningful, think memories that just pop into your mind. Those are the kinds of things I encourage people to pay attention to because if we're busy like waiting for the very obvious thing that does sometimes come, but um, for many people that doesn't come. And even if it does, you wish for another. (laughs) um, But realizing, oh, um, this person I love when I'm doing this thing that we used to love together and I'm feeling a feeling about it, we're together. That's a communication. So I encourage you to um, look for the more subtle ways because I think that's happening all the time. Everything, you know, all our thoughts and feelings are coming from from people in the afterlife. Uh, Our loved ones are part of that. And so look for those more subtle ways. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks for being willing to share a little bit of the, the journey that you've been on in that and, and feeling that connection. That matches up very much with the first, this is the first question we got about the good thoughts and feelings from heaven. Well, th- that, is a, that is a mode of communication that's, that remains open, even if not all the other ones are. So do you have any thoughts on it? Well, I'd say that uh, one of the things I hold very dearly in Swedenborg's teachings is that uh, that relationships don't just go away. Um, while it sometimes could be really frustrating to not like get like the really clear visible uh, signs from our loved ones, I do really hold on to the fact that that the afterlife is set up so that relationships do like reunions do happen all the time. They do uh, people that love you uh, uh, are going through a process, and when your time is right, when you cross over, uh, there will be. Like that love doesn't just disappear. And so while it might be a temporary 
hold on the kind of relationship that you had, like that level, um, it doesn't mean that like what's to come isn't going to be as good or if not better than it was before. Yeah. And that's something that I, I really appreciate about what Swedenborg observed. Yeah, that it's not like we're missing out on the love that could have been. That there's the, the there's going to be enough love. Yeah, it's just coming down the pike, and I think the one aspect of the state of reality that, that I think can hopefully soothe this some is that the spiritual world is just as complex as the physical world, because you do have some people who get really strong dreams directly about the people that they love who have died. Other people have visions, like the person actually shows up to them. But then there's a great many good people who don't get that at all, and you've mm. got to wonder why why wasn't it there. And so just think about how in this world you can be texting somebody and, and texting them, and like, are you okay? What's going on? And then why, why aren't they responding? And then you get, oh, sorry, I was out of cell reception. I just got these now. That's not because that person didn't care that you were worried. It's not because that person doesn't love you. The reason is, well, I just learned this from this kid's Netflix show called Storybots. Though The reason is because when I sent my electrons out here and they ping that cell tower, right? They go all, or I ping the cell tower so it knows where to go. So that goes all the way there. And then that goes to the other cell tower. But their phone couldn't ping the cell tower, so the cell tower didn't know where it was. So when the, they were trying to stream those electrons back to move that magnet to make the sound waves, it wasn't showing up. Uh, you know, the reasons, reasons that have to do with the deep levels of how the world works. And that's how the spiritual world is, is that complex. So if we're thinking about mm. the, a fractured relationship between the physical and the spiritual, that there's, by every indication that Swedenborg gives, initial state of humanity was, you can talk to anybody. That you can have all kinds of contact with the mm. afterlife. Dying is basically, you know it's happening, you go, it's no big deal at mm. all. You can communicate back, but selfishness, materialism, evil of all kinds, polluted things. Just like right now, you can't go out and drink. Why can't I go out and drink that water that's, that's, that just rained down or that's flowing through a river? Well, because it's dirty would be the answer. But the actual answer is, okay, so in the Industrial Revolution, in the 18-something-something, they started smelting with lead and then that, and then there was PCBs and whatever. There, there's a very complicated reason. So th there's the same level of complexity with whatever is keeping it so that you, you in particular can't have this interaction, but it's not that there's not the love there. Mm. It's that it's that the world is real. And to me, that at times can make it feel a little bit more, okay, I can deal with it. It doesn't mean that it's not frustrating, but but at least it's not just cruel or, or arbitrary. Yeah. Like there's good reason, which, which can make a difference at times. Mm. All right, thanks, Jay. Let's do another one here, man. We got a time for at least one more. This is Jillian Hoke. Is there such a thing as karma? And this can put our... Yeah, how, how much can Swedenborg's worldview interface with others? Is it exclusionary? You know, that, that's one thing. But then also, does this sort of force... And I guess what we'll have to do here is define what you think karma is as you say it. Because people have a, a wide spectrum of definitions for that. So what do you... What, when you hear karma, what do you think of, Chris, and, and what do you see as analogs in Swedenborg's work? Well, I mean, what I would see as my uh, humble understanding of karma would be uh, kind of what you put out, you get back. So if you do good things, uh, good things swing back towards you. If you do bad things, bad things swing back towards you. It's definitely sort of the pop understanding of it. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, that's going to be bad karma. Yeah. So yeah, for what it's worth, that's my mm -hmm. understanding. Um, and, you know, as I read Swedenborg, it does, it does occur to me that the kind of whatever networks you choose to invest yourself in, you know, we talk about how thoughts and feelings flow in from heaven and from hell. Um, and what you choose to kind of embrace through kind of continued thought and then making it your own. So say you have a, a thought that is really quite selfish. Well, that's a, that's flowing from hell and you, and you kind of embrace it and you qualify it through your actions. Um, that kind of situates you a little bit closer to that community in hell where that came from doesn't mean that you're like completely gone from heaven's embrace of you, but 
what you embrace, what you invest yourself in seems to have a pull the more you move towards it. Right. Um, so that's just a dynamic I've noticed. Yeah, a little bit of a karmic situation there. Yeah. Great. Karen, what do you think? Is uh, Do we do we find uh, more principles like the one Chris was describing, which seem to kind of transact these two worlds? Um, I want to encourage Jillian to go watch our show called Is the Law of Attraction Real? Because we spent a whole show talking about how um, that, like what Chris is talking about, on a spiritual level, there is a very real um, thing going on that that we would call we can call karma or law of attraction or that what you put out gets you to in the direction of um, other beings that are like you and if that's negative you're inviting more negativity towards yourself if that's positive you're inviting more positivity to yourself um, but if, on the physical plane it's important to not be um, judging yourself or others according to what physically happens because on the phys in the physical world things can be inflicted upon innocent people and and you can suffer something uh, happening bad that was not your fault and there uh, because this is just a very different world where um, in the physical plane um, there's not that direct correlation like there is in the um, in the spiritual world. So it's important to know what you know what you're talking about. So in spiritual terms, yeah, what just steadily going towards positivity will bring your spirit more positivity, but not but your body might go through things that had nothing to do with your fault. Um, also, I'll mention that um, Swedenborg. Um, does it does not uh, see things as that we had a past life that we're paying for and that sometimes um, also uh, involved in the idea of karma that we did something bad last li life uh, so we're getting <laughs> clobbered this life um, he saw this as just one time through this um, through this earthly life um, but that we do um, experience consequences from uh, all the generations, before us, like um, bad habits can build up just the same as they can sort of uh, tendencies toward illnesses in a heredity that you can be born with some um, tendencies towards having a bad temper or this or, or an addiction or something uh, that wasn't your fault. So if you're struggling with that, that's not um, karma that you made yourself. It's just uh, so the particular struggle you were born into and any efforts you make in a positive direction are are just really um making a huge difference in in your spirit even if you feel like you're not getting very far in this life so think spiritual world versus physical world very different things and again go watch that show is the law of attraction real yeah and great summary and i'm glad that that you pointed them to that show because we really do tackle the complexity of the answer to that question, that it's like it is Swedenborg's answer to a lot of phenomena or, or ideas that are out there, sort of yes and no at the same time, and with twists that you never would have thought of. So check that show out, and we're going to do one more question. Let's sneak it. Look, people came here, spent their time watching us talk about this stuff. We deserve to give them one more question. Let's and that it. question is from Sheila Montgomery. Is it too late to repent after we pass on to the other side? Yeah, do we procrastinate it or, or, or do we not? So I will start by saying, well, it depends on how much you're talking about. Like, I wouldn't go this entire life without trying to change anything. But if you're, because then you're, you've formed who you are. And if, if you never wanted to do anything about it, then why are you going to change? But getting any kind of start, there's plenty of time to, to finish that up. It's it's there's a lot of what you would probably call repentance through the stuff that the processing and the world of spirits there. So there's not this feeling of like oh the clock is ticking we're going to run out of time, um, but it's also not like there's no there, there's urgency. I mean life is all urgency around that stuff. So that's that'll be my my final say on it. Um, Karen, do you have any thoughts? 
Okay, now, now we are going to answer this question. Okay, we got our practice in there. This is the question from Sheila, Sheila Montgomery. Is it too late to repent after we pass on to the other side? Is that it? Do we have to get it all done here before we go? What do you think, Chris? Well, I'd say you'd have to seriously confirm uh, yourself as an evil kind of person in this yeah. life. I, I mean, the first thing I think of is, um, you know, we're ebbing and flowing all the time in this life between good intentions, selfishness, um, and there there really is a very common practice or process after you die to get to a better place. But uh, I think having these thoughts before you pass and starting to to think about the importance of doing good things and having good intentions goes a long way. And there are some people, I mean, cer- certainly people do go to hell, um, and it's because they, they've, you know, this the life of this, uh, like our life right now is to figure out what, what our hearts desire. And if you spend an entire lifetime really kind of centering in on, on selfishness, then it's going to be very difficult to remove that level of you that's been built up over a lifetime. Um, but that's, you have to really go fully into that though, in order to go to hell though. Right, right. You, so you gotta, you gotta start. You at least gotta start. If you yeah. think of often Swedenborg uses the correspondence of you got the soil, it's like the earthly life, and the the area above it, you know, is the spiritual life. All we gotta do is plant the seed, but you gotta plant the seed. So it it can be that there's a lot of work that can get done on the other side, but the, to to be able to foster a will that would want to go through that process out of love, uh, we, we have to at least get the building blocks for that going here. Uh, what do you think, Karn? What, what's our clock like on repenting now or later? I think it's important to remember that repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a process. It's a process that goes on um, in some form, probably, well, throughout our whole life, definitely. Um, because repentance means um, just recognizing that you've done harm, regretting it, um, turning to God and, and resolving to make a change, a positive change. And that can happen over and over in different circumstances. And so like you guys were saying, it's just a matter of making a start. It's not, um, and it's a matter of having some kind of willingness, some kind of conscience in one place Swedenborg talks about the thing we have to get going here in this earthly life is some kind of conscience something that we would answer to beyond our own just impulses and cravings um, that we think, oh, you should, shouldn't treat people that well. And we're not going to recognize all the things that we need to repent of in this life. We will recognize some of them. And so it's more about just developing a willingness to when you recognize that you've done harm, um, do you have regrets about that and want to make a change? And any any instance of that is is the path of repentance and you will be helped to get that stronger and stronger because the more you do that the more you're the lord is um building that strength that uh conviction that is repentance into you into your spirit like like chris was saying um so to just have some kind of some kind of conscience um and and to have some you know developing that that willingness that will happen in this life. That will happen in the next life. People have the life review to help them realize a bunch of things that they didn't realize um, before that need changing. So you'll get lots of help as long as you have the willingness to to want to see how what do I still need to work on to change and how can I change it? Right. Yeah. It's important to to, to uh, start to picture when we get a question like this. What is the, what's hell going to try to tell people? And I sort of think there's two poles here. Mm-hmm. One is, you know, you could have hell is going to say, well, okay, so if I can just do something like some kind of repentance, an instantaneous repentance, I'll just put that off for as long as I can and then do it and then get moving. But, and, and that's, there's actually been religious systems that really c- c- sort of canonized that. But the problem with that is like, you're just gaming the system that it's intent. 
So if you're, why would you be waiting? Because the whole point is recognizing the harm that we're doing and loving the other kind of life. So from that side, but, but on the other pole, you could get this like, oh, it's too much work and you're going to run out of time and you're not going to have repented all the way. And then you're not going to make the cutoff and you're going into a leg of fire. Mm. <laughs> but that's not how it works either. Um, it's really just about setting the initial intention that if you are trying to, God is, is desperate for us to choose the better life, you know, to, to be able to put ourselves in a position where all the happiness we can possibly receive is given to us and we continue to grow in that forever. So any glimmer of, of cracking that door open is plenty. So if you're getting concerned about, am I going to finish in time? It doesn't matter. Just, just if you're, if you're starting at all, if you're going to give any, you know, yeah, crack the door even a tiny bit, that's all, that's all that needs to happen. So... Great. Hey, thanks everybody for uh, being willing to to think all this stuff through with us. We're serious about thinking this stuff through because we're not going to stop. We're not stopping tonight <laughs> with this show. We got a lot coming up for you this week. We got news from heaven, which is where we go through an individual idea in the text of Swedenborg and really draw out what's it mean for our day-to-day, what's it mean for the, the weather in your mind. Thursday, we're going to learn about how real faith is simply recognizing that something is true. Saturday, we're going to learn how mean people don't actually have any faith. It's our two faith show series, which means nobody's going to want to click on it because faith sounds boring, but don't click on it. It's cool. Swedenborg's definition of everything is practical and relevant and cool, in my humble opinion. Our short clips. We ran out of poll this week. Almost 800 of you voted. Thanks so much for taking the time. And what you chose was the houses in heaven are beyond comprehension. You'll get a clip about that. And why don't miracles happen today like they did in the Bible? We'll get a clip about that as well. Next Monday, we continue our new season of Swedenborgian Life with our episode, Will Your Body Look the Same When You Die? Which is a strange title, but a strange and cool answer as well. Then the following Monday, we're going to do a show on the symbolism of water and wine. And what's that in the mind as well? I want to say thanks very much to the panel. Chris Dunn, appreciate it. Happy to be here. Karin, thank you so much for all of your wisdom. My pleasure. The great questions, everyone. Thank you so much, and have a great week. It's true. They were great questions, and, and I'm going to leave it on that note. Thank you all for making this happen. And again, I was just excited to do this with everybody this week, and uh, let's do it. Let's keep doing it forever. Okay, see ya. <laughs>